Good morning, y'all. It's good to be back with you this morning. We're glad that, you know, if you can't laugh in the Lord's house, that's, uh, it's sad. And, you know, we're supposed to be joyful and happy and cheerful. And so uh, I told Leander a long time ago, if you don't learn to laugh at yourself, life is a long life. So uh, sometimes it's all we can do, just laugh at ourselves. First Peter chapter uh, 2. First Peter chapter 2. There's a quote that you may or may not have heard. It's a pretty common quote. Uh, it goes, it says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And that quote is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, there's actually no record that we can't find anything in his writings that he actually said that, but that's who gets the credit for it. And it's used quite often basically by meaning there's more to a gospel message than just words. Uh, I put a quote on Facebook this week. I ran across it when I was doing sermon preparation that says, your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And I'm going to say that again so you'll get it. Uh, your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And that sort of says the same thing that, that St. Francis was trying to say. And and in a way, that's a very good statement. Uh, it is important for us to be doers of the word and, and not just hearers only. But in another way, it takes away from the important task that we have of actually speaking the gospel, sharing the gospel. The, the gospel message is critical uh, for people in order for them to be saved. And I don't want us to pit uh, one against the other. Somebody says, well... Uh, they, uh, that church, they're really strong doctrinally, but they, they fuss and they fight and they carry on. And, and another church may be weak doctrinally, but they love, but we're called to be both, right? We're called to both be doers and hearers. And so far in this little letter of 1 Peter, Paul has been writing to these scattered <laughs> pilgrims uh, throughout what we know today is modern-day Turkey. And for the first part of this letter... Paul has been kind of doctrinal in nature. And, and what I mean by that, he has reminded them, his listeners and his hearers, and us 2,000 years later, that when we are born again, we have been made radically alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we're alive. We are called living stones. Uh, we have a living hope. We're made part of a living, breathing temple that... Jesus Christ is building up. And he's saying that we were dead in our trespasses, now we're alive. We were lost and now we're saved. We were headed for hell, now we're going to heaven. But as we get to verse 11 of chapter 2, Peter begins to change his focus and he starts saying, what does that look like? How does that play out in our everyday life? And we're going to look at four different groups over the next five weeks of uh, people that we come into contact with that we need to live out our gospel beliefs, show them what it means to be Christians. Verses 11 and 12 kind of serve as that introduction, but then next week we're going to look at the fact that 
What is a Christian's relationship with the government? Uh, how are we supposed to react to uh, our government, even when our government does things that, as Christians, we, we don't like, that we don't, that God doesn't approve of? How, what's our response supposed to be? And then we're going to look at uh, the idea of employers and employees. Chapter 3 talks about the family, wives and husbands. And then finally, just uh, an overall overview of how we're supposed to react with everybody. But to kind of introduce this section, we're going to look at verses 11 and 12 today. Two very short verses. Paul says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. The big question for us today is this. Does our life, Display the value and actions of a genuine Christ follower. Does our life, does the things that we do, do the things that we say, do, do our actions, do they show the same Christ-like quality that our message says? In other words, are we walking the same way that we're talking? And, and Paul emphasizes this this morning and he starts out there in verse 11 by saying, Beloved, and he gets a little bit more personal, a little bit more tender. He lets them, he reminds them not only are they alive, he reminds them that they are loved. In our world today, uh, do you ever feel like you're alone? Do you ever sometimes feel like the world's against you? Maybe it's your family, maybe it's your job, it's whatever. You, we walk a lonely road. Can I remind you when you get to those moments, can you remember you're loved? As a Christ follower, you are loved. Well, how do I know God loves me? He died on the cross for you. He saved you. He made you alive. So he says here, beloved. But then he calls, and this is the first point of the lesson today, we are called to live differently. He says, beloved or loved ones, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. He uses the word sojourners, pilgrims. Uh, the NIV and NASB use the term aliens and strangers. The New Living Translation says uh, temporary residents and foreigners. And, and all of these are good descriptions and good descriptors of what Peter's trying to tell us here, because he wants to remind us that as Christ followers, we are temporary visitors on this earth. We are temporary visitors in our society. Even though we might be Americans or, or from whatever country it is that we're from, if we are Christ followers, we are ultimately citizens of heaven. That's our ultimate allegiance. That is our ultimate home. That is where we're headed. But right now, we are foreigners. Right now, we are strangers. And you know, when foreigners come into our country, there's a language barrier, right? They, they, don't, they don't talk like we do. Uh, you know, you 
talk to folks that are from up north and it doesn't take long to understand they're not from around here when you listen you know, to their language. And even more so when it's a different country. I can only imagine our, our visitors challenged with us this morning when you don't know English real well to come into a group and try to understand what's happening or what's going on. Fortunately, we have some technology, some apps that can, can help us with some of that, but it's not easy. But did you know the church that God has in mind for us is to be mixed with different ethnicities, different countries, different languages? When we get to heaven, I almost hate to say this. Did you know when we get to heaven there's going to be people who look different than we do? They're going to talk different than we do. Now I believe we'll have be able to understand. The scripture says there are going to be there are going to be people in heaven from every tribe, race, nation under the earth. Their background's going to be a little different than ours. Uh, and the wonderful part of it is that through the Holy Spirit's help, we're going to be able to communicate and learn. Uh, do you think you and I could learn something from our Chinese brothers and sisters? Uh, do you think we could learn something from our Mexican brothers and sisters, our Iranian brothers and sisters? Just like we can teach. I've got a friend of mine that has gone on mission trips, and he says one of the biggest dangers that mission teams have is to try to make American churches in these other countries, uh, try to make them just like our churches here. And as long as it is gospel teaching, Bible believing, uh, for example, if we were in Africa this morning, most of our music would be percussion-based. They, they, their music is highly percussive. They like drums and rhythm and, and different things like that. You know what? That's okay. Aren't you glad God didn't limit us to how we worship? God says make a joyful noise. And what that looks like may depend on our culture. And I just bring that out because we have a perfect example this morning of how that looks, what that looks like. And we're experiencing it just a little bit. We're going to have eternity with folks. And we also need to realize that as Fairview grows, the different, there's going to be different ethnicities in Fairview. You know what? They all have souls too. And so we are called to figure out a way to minister to all of them. And that, that's going to be a, it's going to be a challenge. But we're called to do that. We're called to live and act differently than our world. We're supposed to set ourselves apart. He, he reminds us that uh, as Christ followers, we're called to live counterculturally. The world lives one way. The world looks at us and thinks we're a little bit weird. Uh, we're a little weird because we don't talk like they do. We're a little bit weird because we don't celebrate what they celebrate. We're a little bit weird if we don't dress like they dress. Far too many Christians and far too many churches have spent way too much time trying to look and sound like society 
instead of being countercultural. We're called to live differently, y'all. Not because we're contrary, but because we're citizens of a different world. We're part of God's kingdom. Strangers, pilgrims, foreigners, aliens, temporary residents. As Christ followers, we have been born again as heavenly citizens living in an earthly world. Now how we do that, the question is, what does it look like? How are we going to look like differently than the rest of the world? How does that play out? What does that look like, number two? Well, Peter tells us here in verse 11. He reminds them they're loved. Then he says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, you live separate, you're different, abstain from fleshly lusts. The word abstain means to keep away from. We've been called to keep away from some things. How many of y'all, when you were young, told your kids, let's go back even further, how many of y'all's parents and grandparents told y'all, don't touch that hot stove? Right? Didn't they tell us that? How many of y'all touched the hot stove? There's some things we're supposed to stay away from. Stay away from poison. Stay away from playing in the interstate. Stay away from the hot stove. As members of Christ's kingdom, there are some things we're supposed to stay away from too. And Peter tells us here, we're to abstain from fleshly lusts. That's our fleshly desires, our fleshly passions. You say, well, what does that mean? A simple definition of flesh is anything that's contrary to the nature of God. That's what the flesh is. In Scripture, in the Bible, the terms uh, flesh and God are opposite one another. They are at war against each other. From Genesis chapter 3 on, uh, the reason why flesh is evil and wicked is because it's sinful. And it's been corrupted. Uh, all the way down from Adam to man and woman today, as far as long as long as the Lord lets the world stand, we're going to be part of a corrupted flesh. So we've said that the flesh is opposite of God. What do I mean then about the nature of God? What is the nature? If we're supposed to be the opposite of the flesh, maybe it will help us to understand what is God's nature. What is what are God's characteristics? Two scriptures. First, look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 3. We'll start with verse 2 for context's sake. 2 Peter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to all has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, 
that through these ye may be partakers of the what? Divine nature or godly nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also through this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. That is God's nature. God's nature is virtue, virtuous, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, kindness, love. That is, you look at God, that's what he is. That's what we are supposed to be. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Paul gets even more specific in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, Let's also walk in the Spirit. That gives us a pretty good idea of what we're supposed to do, right? If we don't find it in that list, stay away from it. That sounds simple. If it's not on that list, avoid it. That's not a hard sentence to understand. But how hard is this sentence to understand? Don't touch the hot stove. Uh, sometimes it's not the difficulty of the task, it's the want to. Uh, whether or not we, we want to do it. So, and oh, by the way, in case you're still not understanding the difference in the flesh and the spirit, look at this same chapter, Galatians 5, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, Dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries. And then he uses the phrase, and the like, or such like, or anything like this. Those are the things we're supposed to stay away from, y'all. We're supposed to keep away, we're supposed to abstain. Well, why do we need to abstain from these fleshly lusts? Going back to 1 Peter 5, or 1 Peter 2, rather. Verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Peter gives us two reasons to abstain from fleshly lusts. First of all, because they war against our soul. The New Living Translation there says they war against our very soul. Uh, in the heart and mind of every believer, there's a war going on, and the object of this war is your soul. The object of this war is your sanctification, you becoming more like Jesus Christ. Another way to put that is asking this question. Who is on the throne of your life, you or Jesus Christ? Your desires, your passions, your wants, your needs, or Jesus? 
And that is a war we're going to have to face every day for the rest of our lives. Lots of times, several times a day. We're going to decide, are we on the throne of our life, or is Jesus on the throne of our life? A very practical way of answering this question is, how's the war against your fleshly desires going? Is the flesh winning, or is Jesus winning? The first step, y'all, toward winning this war is showing up for the battle. And I've entitled this message, Are You Fighting or Fainting? And, and it's because of this statement. When you're tempted to do something you know you ought not do, do you put up a fight or you just go along and do it? Uh, have y'all ever seen a YouTube video or maybe in person of those fainting goats? Uh, they're the cutest little things. They'll... They'll run and you do something to scare them and they just, boom, they just fall over. Get stiff and just, look, look it up on YouTube. It'll, it'll crack you up. I'm afraid that's the way sometimes as Christians we get. When we are tempted to do something we ought not do, but it's something we want to do, we don't fight. We just, boom, we fall over and go do whatever it is that it is we need to do. For example, and I know I've used this, I'm going to use it again because it works. I know how to eat, right? I just had my arteries cleaned up. Everything's pumping good. But you know what I do? I'll go in the dollar store and I'll see Reese's. And they have white Reese's and chocolate Reese's and big Reese's and M&M Reese's pieces. and They have all kinds of Reese's. And if I don't watch what I'm doing, there's no fight in my mind whatsoever. I know my arteries are clean. I know I don't need this. I get me a Reese's. And you know, while I'm at it, I'm going to get a box of Little Debbie snack cakes too because they're two, buy one, get one free. Right? So if you're going to blow it, blow it big. Y'all, that's a humorous, humorous example of if we're not careful, that's what we do with fleshly desires. I don't care if it's alcohol, drugs, women, pornography, whatever the addiction is. The question as a Christian, do you even fight? Do you even show up for the battle? Or you say, well, I'll just ask forgiveness and go on. I, it's not that big of a deal. This verse tells us as Christians, Abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. That word abstain is not a passive word. It's a war of war. We are to stay away from this stuff, y'all. What would you tell your child if your child were to you ask your 16-year-old uh, son, where are you and your girlfriend going on your date? And they say, well, we're going to go have a picnic right in the middle of Interstate 40. Would you have something to say about that? Along the lines of, have you lost your mind? That will kill you. <clears throat> Can I tell you as your pastor, there are too many of us that want to have a picnic on Interstate 40. 
when it comes to our fleshly desires. Our fleshly desires will kill you. Your fleshly desires, my fleshly desires, it won't take your salvation, but it will take your witness. It will take your joy. Sin, you will pay more with sin than you ever thought you'd pay. You'll stay longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And it'll cost you even more than you ever thought was possible. Sin's fun for a minute. But then there's the next day. Abstain from fleshly lust because there's a war going on. This is a war to die to yourself in order to be like Jesus Christ. To be in the center of God's will. There is no middle ground. There is no in between. In, in this war we don't get to be Switzerland. There is no neutral. We're either in the flesh or in the spirit. Y'all we need to pick a side and show up for the battle. Amen. Show up for the fight. Satan is seeking to destroy any chance you have to become more like Jesus Christ. That's why you're still on this earth. God could have taken you home the minute he saved you. The reason why you're still here is because God wants to make you more like Jesus. And when the flesh gets its way, when Satan has his way with you, you're not going to become more like Jesus. Notice here that Peter doesn't say, conquer your culture. He doesn't say, conquer your neighbors or conquer your government. You know what Peter says here? Conquer yourself. The greatest danger to the church today is not from without. What's on the outside of the church, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The outside can't stop the church, y'all. The greatest danger to the church is inside the church. It's folks who think they're saved that are really not saved that are, that are part of a church. Or it's those Christians who are saved that are living carnally or fleshly minded. Our biggest obstacle is us. My biggest obstacle for me not eating right is me. My biggest obstacle for not living right is me. And your biggest obstacle is you. I think it was Pogo who said, we have seen the enemy and he is us. And there's some truth to that statement. If you know I've been present for every bad decision I've ever made, you have to. We need to avoid fleshly lust because there's a war going on. But we also need to abstain from fleshly lust. Verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles because there's a, the world's watching. That word Gentiles there simply means the lost. Our conduct with the lost needs to be honest and it needs to be honorable. But why does it need to be honest and honorable? You see what it says here? 
that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God. Peter tells us that the lost world is going to accuse us as Christ followers of some things that we don't do. See, people say that Christians are judgmental and non-loving and uh, they're hateful and they're mean and they're short-tempered and uh, they can't get along with each other. And you know, there, there may be some truth to that with some folks. But I know a lot of Christians who are good and kind and loving. I know a church full of them right here. But the world's going to speak against us. Guess what, y'all? The, the world spoke against Jesus, right? Jesus was crucified based on the testimony of false witnesses. Stephen was stoned based on the testimony of false witnesses. Jesus says, Blessed are you when men persecute you for my name's sake or for righteousness' sake. Persecution's coming. They're going the lost world's going to lie on us. The lost world's going to talk about us. You know what Peter is saying here? Peter's saying, don't give them any more ammunition. Amen? We ought to live in such a way when somebody says, that church at Old New Hope, they're just hateful. They don't, they, they don't love the world. Uh, their world, they're bigoted, they're mean, they're, they're this, they're that. We ought to be living our lives in Fairview in such a way that when a lost person brings that up about us, some other lost people say, that's not the church I know. That church has helped these folks. This, that church has lived this way. This, this lady, she goes down there and she's the, the, the most godlike person that I've ever seen. I, the world's watching us, y'all. They're watching us hoping we'll fall. They're watching us hoping we'll slip. Watch this and see if it's not true. In the paper or in the news, the TBI folks will have a sex sting where they'll have officers posing as underage prostitutes to try to lure men and women to, to buy sex. And it'll catch 30 people. And if one of them happens to be a pastor, the headline won't say they called a plumber engaging in this. It'll be pastor gets caught in sex sting and it'll be all over the all over the news. Should a pastor not get caught in the sex sting? No, he shouldn't. But can I tell you this? Neither should a plumber. Neither should a dog catcher. The world is looking for us to mess up. And when we do, we just give them ammunition to speak evil against God. May our lives be lived in such a way that when people speak of us, when they think of us, God gets the glory. Because notice what he says here. He uses a phrase. 
that they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. That, that day of visitation is an interesting word. Jesus uses it. Uh, in, uh, he, he talks about coming in the day of visitation. And often it means judgment. And that might mean what it means here. When they, when they stand before God, they might glorify them. But I kind of wonder if he's not talking about here when the lost world is presented with the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. You go talk to your lost neighbor. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus changed my life. I was this and after I was saved, now I'm this and now I'm that. Wouldn't you like to be part of this? Wouldn't you like to trust Jesus as your Savior? When they're presented with the gospel, what kind of witness have you lived in front of them? Are they going to say, I want to be like you? Whatever you've got, I want. You're joyful, you're positive, you're happy. I want that. Or they're going to say, you're no different than me. You live like me, walk like me, talk like me, party like me. We're called to live differently, y'all. Strangers, pilgrims, foreigners. And what that looks like is having self-control. Having self-control over our passions. And also having self-control in our dealings with our neighbors. So that our life brings glory to God. So that our life is a witness for the Lord to a lost and dying world. As we see all of these subdivisions going up in Fairview, there's a lot of them. Miss Loretta's got a huge one right, right next door to her. When you see all those houses, we are going to be presented with a wonderful opportunity as Christ followers. Because every one of those houses... I know it's going to bring more traffic. I know there's a lot of negatives to more and more people moving in. But every one of those houses they're building behind Miss Loretta is going to have families in them. And every one of those families are going to be a group of people that need Jesus. And we're going to have an opportunity to minister to them. And we're going to minister into one of two ways. We're either going to look like Jesus or we're going to look like ourselves. And my prayer is for all of us that we might look more like Jesus. Let's bow.